Welcome to BIPAC News on the Jewish TV channel. I'm Laura Kessler, and today we're meeting up with Danny Rakoff in Jerusalem for an update. Good to be with you again, Danny. How are things, and what's the latest? Thank you. Lovely to talk to you, Laura. The latest, um, the latest is there are a few things that we have to take into account. The first one is what's happening with the hostages and the feeling of whether it's for Israel's benefit to accept a deal that is unacceptable. We're, uh, we're very concerned, people are very concerned that a release of terrorists for the hostages will, for the lack of a better word, will hold the entire nation hostage over a longer period of time. Um, so we will have 9 million people being held hostage by terrorists that are a clear and present danger and threat to the state of Israel. And yet at the same time, we want the hostages to be returned. So people are, um, my, my feeling is that people are very torn between the security of Israel and at the same long-term security of Israel and at the same time the desperate need and the absolute support for the families of those who have been taken. That's, that's the, main, the main story all the time on the street in Israel. That's what people are most concerned about. The other big story, of course, is UNRWA. UNRWA is not a surprise to most Israelis. It's an organization that has given expression to its anti-Semitism and to its perpetuation of the Palestinian victimization, self-victimization, that has ensured that this conflict continues for over 70 years. So those are the big stories over here at the moment. Uh, that's what people are most concerned about. And, uh, of course, the support of the United States, which seems to be unwavering. And yet everyone is waiting with bated breath to see who is going to be the new leader of the United States, if Donald Trump is going to come in and what that means for Israel, or if Biden is going to have a return. We don't know. As a South African who made Aliyah, you surely have some very strong feelings on the recent ICJ debacle. Do you want to summarize the situation, what happened, and how Israelis as well as South Africans are reacting to it? Sure. I think that as a South African, as an ex-South African, I'm very embarrassed by the conduct of the African National Congress. But I take into account, as most Jewish South Africans do, and Israelis, um, the relationship that the African National Congress had with the Palestinian Liberation Organization from the late 60s right through until the late 80s, where South Africa was under an apartheid regime, and that regime had a very close relationship with Israel. Israel and South Africa were known to work on various military and armament projects together. In fact, it wasn't unheard of to have Hebrew spoken on South African military bases in the 70s and the early 80s. So the ANC, the African National Congress, remembers that relationship. I think they're very punishing about it. That's something that needs to be taken into account. Even though South African Jewry, out of all the white denominations, and uh, the Jews were certainly the smallest, per capita they made up the largest anti-apartheid activists out of all the white denominations in South Africa. That's not to say they weren't 
supportive of apartheid in many ways. But I think um, out of all the denominations, as I said, the, the Jewish community probably had the most activists, and some of them are very well known, such as Joe Slova, Ruth First. Even though they were ostracized by the mainstream Jewish community, because it was a very difficult situation, Laura, it was one of a regime that was uh, very militant and a very frightening regime at the time. Not that I'm making excuses, I'm, I'm just saying it was a complex situation for South African Jewry. In fact, as a side note, I'd, I'd say that under the Bruderbund, the uh, Afrikaans national movement, Jews were not considered to be human beings. They were considered to be mud people, and they were given honorary white status, uh, just like the Chinese. So it was a very complex relationship. On the one hand, a close relationship with the state of Israel, um, but on the other hand, from a religious perspective, uh, a basic, typical, you know, Christian-based anti-Semitism. So that combination made it very complex for the Jews of South Africa. Be that as it may, I think that um, there's a lot of a lot of anger and a lot of fear from the South African Jewish community at the moment as far as what the future holds for them. I I have certain feelings that some that's that are shared amongst some people who feel how can you live in a country where your government has sanctioned and has become the legal arm of a terror organization that wants the destruction of your people. But the circumstances of most Jews in South Africa is not one of economic wealth anymore. And the rand, the currency used in South Africa, is worth very little. Uh, so people are really caught between a rock and a hard place as far as making a move or leaving. Already it's a very dispersed community with Jews living all over the world, the English-speaking world, from Australia to Canada. Uh, to uh, the United States and the UK. Uh, so they're very dispersed, but um, there's still a vibrant community there with great infrastructure, Jewish infrastructure, kashrut, and community organizations, and a very strong community. But we don't know what the future is going to hold for them. Yeah. Looking out to the diaspora, how does it personally make you feel when you hear the charge that Israel is an apartheid state? Even worse, that we've committed genocide or are committing genocide. Um, it's a, it's a, a very frustrating feeling having lived under apartheid, through apartheid, and understanding that it was a legislated racist system that incorporated torture, arresting people, holding them without trial, people disappeared, you know, I remember as a child being called boss when I was eight years old by men in their 60s or 70s and them stepping off the curb so that I had right of passage. And that wasn't uncommon. You know, it, it was a terrible, terrible system, a very evil system. However, that is not the case for Israeli Arabs. It, it's just not the case. Whether you step into a hospital or I'm not saying anything that, more revealing than what people know who've been to Israel and have experienced it themselves. We have we have a vibrant uh, community of Arab Christians and Arab Muslims, many of whom are very integrated into the society and play crucial roles in 
the medical world, in the legal fraternity, uh, in the government. And it's um, an abhorrent lie. It's just an abhorrent lie. Are, are there issues of racism in Israeli society? Of course, like any society. But they are not legislated, and they are frowned upon by the general public. And it isn't an apartheid state where we live our lives separately and travel on separate, separate forms of transport or have to use separate public toilets or get served in different hospitals. Uh, my, I have doctors that are Arab. I have pharmacists that are Arab. I have um, many relationships that are unavoidable living in Israel where we live in a democratic society, Chief Bajal. We, we are living a life of equality with a strong democracy in place. So the lies are outrageous. And unfortunately, I, I feel that most people are not able to come here and see for themselves. But that's the ultimate um, explanation for what is transpiring here, people actually being on the ground and seeing for themselves and finding out the facts for themselves, not listening to news reports on Al Jazeera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Recently, LL Airlines stopped servicing South Africa, and I've heard that was a business decision more than a political one. I know you work in the travel industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I don't know the the, the mindset of the general management of Elal. What I do know is that the flights were more empty than full due to the war. And they've changed from April. They're going to be not servicing South Africa any longer until further notice. I think from what I'm hearing, South African Jews feel somewhat like they're being punished for the relationship between the two governments and that they've been cut off from Israel and they've been inconvenienced by having to use other airlines that they don't feel they wish to give support to as much as they would like to give support to Elan. Um So I think it was economic, but I, I think there is certainly a political aspect and it's understandable because Israel is being maligned and it's a blood libel as far as the accusation of genocide goes. It's a blood libel. It almost reminds me of the Dreyfus trial. But we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. In the interim, there's more concern for me um, about South African Jewry and their long-term prospects in that society. And they are a minority, and um, they're a very vulnerable minority. Already you have Hamas officers inside Cape Town, um, which is very worrying. And they have been there for some time. Wow. Yeah, so it's, um, it's not a simple situation, but it is a false accusation, and it's very anger-invoking because it is such a, a blatant lie. Uh, it just takes some very basic investigation to be able to see that if Israel had wanted to genocide the Palestinian people, it could have been done in 48 hours. Right. So uh, we're, we're not very good at genocide here. No, we're not. Um, in the present tense, what bridges are being formed to repair the recent damage between South Africa, the ICJ, and everything else? The relationship between Israel and the present government in South Africa is not, as I'm aware right now, anything that's taking place in the public domain. There might be back channels 
where people are who are not pro the decision of the government and the ANC, members themselves, are speaking to Israel off the record. I'm not aware of what those conversations are. I know that Chief Rabbi Goldsman of South Africa is um, being very vocal and placing himself in the front line with calling out the ANC government. There's a fortune of corruption there in the government of South Africa, nepotism, corruption, crime, and there's a power struggle taking place for the control of the African National Congress. There's also a power struggle taking place outside of the African National Congress in opposition to them, um, with lots of tribal... South Africa is made up of many uh, African tribes, and those tribes, many of them are devoutly Christian, and they have millions of followers, and they are standing in opposition to the government's stand. So those, those voices of reason and those voices that are pro-Western in South Africa are the people that I believe Israel should be engaging with and hopefully will be far more. They're very supportive. Various tribes and Christian churches in South Africa, um, but it's obviously a tightrope because you can't have South African Jewry on behalf of Israel alienating themselves entirely and endangering themselves by taking a stance that is completely opposed to the government without repercussions. So I'm not sure where things will go for South African Jewry, and I'm not sure where things are going to go with the Israel-South Africa relationship. What we do know is they've threatened that anybody who is a South African citizen that is Jewish who has served in the IDF or volunteers in the IDF, that on their return to South Africa, they face arrest. That's a threat that's basically falling over, clouding, clouding the community because there are a fair amount of young people who do come to Israel um, at the end of their schooling, either to go into the army or to do shirotumi, community service. So those, those are the kinds of issues that are concerning for the Jewish community. I know that you, you help arrange some solidarity tours to help governments speak with each other. Can you give us any good news? Is there anything hopeful you can give us? Well, we do have a proposed tour that's meant to be taking place in the next couple of weeks, which is going to be facilitating a group of South African politicians, um, tribal leaders, and church elders who will be coming on the trip to Israel, a solidarity trip, in order to show their complete and absolute disregard for the African National Congress's position and show their support for Israel. They are very, very determined to show South Africa's other face, and they are committed to coming here, and we would like to bring them here and to show them around and take them down to the south to see where the massacre took place, where the massacres took place, as well as to introduce them to various politicians and members of Knesset, and to empower them and let them go back to South Africa with a message of hope and a message of defiance against the false accusations that have been placed on Israel that certainly have no place in the modern world. That sounds like a very powerful trip, and we'll want to have you on after that to, to hear how everything 
goes with that. Anything else coming up for you? Um, well, we'd like to reach out to we would like to reach out to more groups, possibly from the United States, and bring community members here in order to do a very similar trip and have exposure to what's taking place here on the ground. You know, Laura, what I will say to you is as much as Israel is in a state of war, there is an incredible, tangible feeling on the ground over here that is quite a unique experience to be able to be exposed to, which most Israelis are, all Israelis are, which is this unity, which is the spirit of resilience and very courageous young people. And experiencing that is really part of history in the making for the Jewish people. And I just wish I could share that with Jews from around the world so they could feed off. It's not only that we would benefit from having their support, but it's the benefit they would receive as well from experiencing something so unique in Jewish history, such a unity, such a tenaciousness and absolute resolve in being victorious and surviving this horrific situation, the longest war we've ever had, and experiencing that firsthand, which is very inspiring. It certainly is. Yeah, and we're going through a lot over here as well. Shane Rosenbaum wrote a really interesting piece about the differences of things. I definitely admire the unity you guys are having. And I would say we're having more unity here as well in different ways. But we're we're dealing with different challenges. We, I think in America, I can just speak for where I'm at, you know, you can't take for granted when you go outside that, Everybody's supporting you. They're not, you know. There's there's a little bit of paranoia here as to is somebody that you don't know a Hamas supporter or not. So that's a that that's a key difference, I would say. But in general, right. we're very we're very much with you. We're very much with you, and um, um, it's good to know you're with us too. Well, that's for sure. That's for sure. I think that the experience. Sometimes I say that it's so unfortunate that Hamas was the catalyst for creating such a unifying experience in the Jewish world that is unprecedented for, you know, decades. And we hope to see that bond strengthen, not just through our collective bleeding heart, but through our collective positive love and excitement for what the future holds for the Jewish people. Because history is in the making right now, as terrible as and traumatic as this time period is, things are changing and things are evolving in all aspects of our society here in Israel and I think around the Jewish world. I think that identity has been, for those that, you know, had uh, needed an awakening, I think that has taken place, where we see that we have far more in common than we have that separates us, whether we're religious or secular or left-wing or right-wing or Ashkenazi or Sfardi or living in Chutzlaretz or living in Israel. We're the same people, and our unity is critical for our survival and our prosperity, and it seems like that unity is coming to the fore. Well said. Danny Rakoff, thanks for checking in with us. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Looking forward to it, Laura. Thank you very much. 
Well, that's it for this BIPAC News update on the Jewish TV channel. Subscribe to our podcast and catch me on Talking Point, where we're about to launch an ongoing series focusing on Jewish PTSD and the mental health crisis that has gone global since October 7th. We'll be interviewing leading Jewish psychologists who are fighting anti-Semitism within their own organizations and training other therapists to learn how to respond with sensitivity to Jewish trauma in different countries, how our kids are reacting, and there's a lot of important stuff you won't want to miss. For Jewish TV Channel and BIPEC News, I'm Laura Kessler. See you next time.